0: but it is my absolute pleasure and privilege to introduce you to Colin. Why don't you give him a warm clap this morning? So Colin, as we step into this message this morning on managing fear, why don't you tell the church family what has been your experience and your context in this space?
1: Thank you. I I know the story well, but I'm going to um, read it because it helps me keep it on so filters out a whole lot of stuff. I joined the police force in 1987. That's right, I'm from the government, I'm here to help you. <laughs> in, ni- in October 89, I was stationed at Paran Police Station and had requested to work the night shift uh, one particular week, but i just transferred to Hawthorne. Unfortunately, on that night shift, two policemen were murdered in Wall Street, South Yarra, and I knew them well, and I was actually on the road that night when it happened. And um, I can still remember who I was working with and the feeling we felt when it was confirmed that both had died. Over the next couple of years, I carried the coffins of colleagues who had taken their own lives in various ways, including firearms, mostly due to stress. Prior to joining the police force, I'd been a hunter, I'd been in the Army Reserve, I'd been in a commando unit. That's something I was quite familiar with, firearms. In late 97, I experienced 10 months of very difficult time as I attended 10 deaths in the 10 months. One of the first was outside here at the intersection of Fox Road where I watched a motorcyclist at high speed go under a car that came out of the old stop sign. And I was holding him as he took his last breath. And I'm one of those who's very glad to see lights there now, but I know someone will run through them one day. Midway through that run of 10 deaths, I attended a scene on a railway line where a mother had drugged her two children, they were five and seven, laid down with them on the train track on a bend And I was one of the first on the scene. I rang Yolanda from the scene in tears, telling her to give our kids a hug because our kids were a similar age. The woman did this out of fear. as a domestic violence situation. She was scared of her husband. She felt they were all better off dead than having to live with him, even though the dad was separated from the rest of the family. Another death I attended was the death of a competition shooter who was living in a wheelchair. who was stuck in a wheelchair and he just couldn't face having to go on. Again, that reference to competition, firearms came back. He turned the gun on himself and he didn't die straight away and I actually drove the ambulance to the hospital while the paramedics were working on him in the, uh, in the back of the van. Six weeks later, I attended the last of those ten deaths, which was again the double murder of two policemen, this time at Cochran's Road in Moorabbin, Gary Silk and Rod Miller. I heard Rod calling out in pain as we searched the area looking for him because he was missing. And that was a label, it was the name of one of the books that was written about it, One Down, One Missing. And I was the first to reach him. I later received a Chief Commissioner's highly commended certificate. It was one of the hardest nights of my career. And it was almost 10 years to the anniversary of the first double murder at Wall Street for uh, Steve Tynan and Damien Eyre. So, uh, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a hard run. Um, yeah.
0: That is a hard run, and that's some very confronting stuff. Can you tell us, Colin? What was the impact of all of that on your life? How did that drama and that fear play out in your world personally?
1: It wasn't like it was in Hollywood. You see all these shoot 'em up and cop movies and all that sort of stuff. It wasn't like that at all. It was very, very different. Um, and in August '98, so it'll be 20 years this year, I emotionally fell over. I was completely drained. I remember pulling up at home and turning the engine off in the car outside and watching the fuel gauge dropped down below zero and kept going it was below empty and that was exactly how i felt Um, i had nothing left i took time off about six weeks initially of i just couldn't go to work although at the time it felt a whole lot longer Um, i was diagnosed with ptsd and started seeking some counseling i knew that i was somewhere on a downward emotional spiral but i didn't know where i was or how deep into that darkness and that spiral i would go I was too scared to close my eyes because of what I saw. The visions kept popping up. And they popped up for a long, long time. Yeah. I remember sitting in the shower sobbing. I was scared to go to work not knowing what I had to face. Um, Rod Semple wrote recently, for those of you that follow the blog about music, one of the songs that came out at that time was by the Goo Goo Dolls, a song called Iris. One of the lyrics had, I don't want the world to see me. I don't think they would understand. And that covered how I, how I felt at felt. I've been a hunter and a shooter for a long time, and I had quite a few firearms at home. And I had seen a number of people suicide with their own guns, and this made me scared to stay home because I knew I had access to firearms and knew how quickly people could fall into the black dog, into depression. And I, I wasn't suicidal. I knew that, but I didn't know if I'd become suicidal. That was my biggest fear, inflicting that upon my loved ones. Um, Because sometimes in depression, suicide seems to be the only way out. And that was my biggest fear, how deep into the hole I was going. Mm -hmm. And so um, I had a very good friend who uh, was at our previous church, Stephen, and I actually gave him my firearms. I said, hang on to these. I don't know where I'm at. I don't know how deep I'm going to go, but hang on to them. Keep them safe for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm giving you permission to say no. If I ask for them back and you don't think I'm right, say no. I can't have them back. Um... And, and he and I spent a lot of time talking about that. Um, and it was very brave of him to do that. And I got told that it was actually quite a mature thing for me to do at that time. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Colin. That's, um, yeah, it's, it's raw and it's real and it's completely powerful. And it probably surfaces emotions for some of us. Wounds for others, concerns, whatever it might be. And so thank you so much. And then finally, before we close, tell us how you've gone about managing this fear in your life.
1: I started talking to God a whole lot more, but also listening. I prayed and I was trying to listen to him as much as I could. Mm -hmm. One day I was walking near home, lost in my dark thoughts and didn't see a car come out of a driveway, which almost hit me. Mm -hmm. Initially, I cursed the driver for missing me. It all could have been so much easier. But then I heard God tell me that he wasn't finished with me yet. He still had work for me to do, so I prayed harder, I sought more counselling, and I did some counselling also with Yolanda by my side. I became active and involved in the church that we were in at the time, trying to be available for whatever it was that God had for me. I went back to work and I was on light duties for months, I think it was about nine months before I was allowed to carry a firearm again at work. Um, And so things were improving, I uh, moved to a new police station, did the sergeant's exams, and Started doing temporary duty as a sergeant. I even ran the domestic violence unit unit for the city of Casey for six months as a sergeant. Kept praying, kept praying and singing. I can't sing well, but I, I was singing. And I started to find solace in songs like from um, Delirious, Here I Am, Send Me. And the stone's been rolled away for those of you old enough to remember that one because it felt like a rock had started to come off me. and I started to feel alive again. Unfortunately, around about uh, 12 months after going back, I started to attend a number of suicides and deaths again. And I started to feel scared that I was going to suffer depression. I knew I had to get out. It took two years and two attempts to finally leave the police force. Along the way, my exit strategy was to learn to fly helicopters. And so I went from a sergeant running the domestic violence unit to flying people to their wedding or flying people to lunch (laughs) and watching proposals happen. And so... God really showed me a a great strategy and a great way out. It led to many adventures around Australia. And over time, I did get better, but I'm still soppy. I cry in commercials. That's what they're designed for, those of us (laughs) that are soft. Um, And so I don't suffer depression. I, I don't get as scared, but I'm softer I'm gentler. The person who was training as a Green Beret commando and was training to go into combat, is now a whole lot softer and a lot more open to God's prompting and voice. And, and, and even why I'm here today, I came up to Susie last week and said, Who have you got to speak to about fear? Because God's telling me to come forward. And I've never shared this before in such an open forum. Um, yeah.
0: Thank you so much, Colin. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much, Colin. We're so grateful that you listened to God and confident that um, your story has spoken to many already this morning. And we honour you, Yolanda. It's it's a partnership with a husband and wife and when one's going through a hard time, it impacts everybody and you're a beautiful, supportive, God-honouring wife and we love you for it, yes. Well, you've heard Colin's story. And I wonder where you sit on the fear front this morning. When you walked in, you received a little speech bubble. Because um, the truth of the matter is that you and I spend a whole lot of time listening to ourselves and not enough time talking to ourselves. And so I wonder what your dialogue has been saying to you on the fear front lately. And what I want you to do is this. Each and every one of us probably has a unique fear that we're dealing with, that we're journeying with, and that sits on various degrees and extremes on the spectrum. But we're just going to sit in the presence of God for a couple of minutes before I start this sermon out today. And I want you to pull out a pen, there are some pens or pencils lining your aisles, and uh, I want you to pull out a pen, and I literally want you to write down your fear on this speech bubble if you may. So just a couple of minutes. If it's too personal, then write it down in code if you don't want the person beside you to see it. But just ask God to actually just reveal to you, if you don't actually know exactly what it is, or if you haven't been able to pinpoint it or put some words around it, ask God to just give you a sentence and write it down on your speech bubble. Amen. So I'm know that sometimes our fears are real and they surround a situation that we've journeyed through or that we're journeying through. And sometimes our fears are hypothetical, that they're fears around a situation that might unfold that actually may or may not, but it's in our head and it fills us with fear and trepidation. And so you and I know that the truth of the matter is that sometimes our fears are real, other times they're hypothetical. And as I said last week, our brain doesn't actually know the difference between real and hypothetical. So whatever it is, it needs addressing this morning. Many of you know the acronym, F-E-A-R, False Expectations Appearing Real, that's fear. And so I don't know what you've written on your piece of paper. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know whether you're fearful about um, a health situation and you're not really sure what it looks like or what might happen. I'm not sure if you're um, fearful about what your future looks like and there's so much insecurity and, and unknown in that space. Maybe you're fearful about your kids for no apparent reason, but you're just fearful that something might go wrong with them. Maybe you're fearful about your job. Maybe you're fearful with rejection that sits within you. I don't know what you're fearful about. Maybe you're fearful about the fact that life's going good for you and you keep thinking to yourself, surely my luck must run dry soon. Or maybe you've had so much um, go wrong in your world that your brain brain has programmed itself to think, goodness, I'm so fearful that not much ever goes my way. Whatever it is for you, we are talking about managing fear today. Managing fear does not mean that you and I never experience fear. Fear is a human emotion that plagues us on this side of eternity. But what you and I want to do by the grace of God today is to manage our fear. Sometimes it is okay for us to have fear, but it is never okay for fear to have us. That is not the plan of God for our life. Sometimes it is okay to have fear, but it is never okay for fear to have us. And so by the grace of God, over the course of this morning, I just want to unpack a story in the scripture that can help you and help I with both the spiritual side of dealing with fear and also some practical tips, which is why once again, we're calling today a seminar, part sermon, part seminar. And I said it last week and I'll say it again. Pull out your phones, take notes, take screenshots of what appears on the screen because it will be information overload. I'm not going to give you one warm and fuzzy phrase that you're going to remember outside of here and that's all you need to know. There's a lot I'm going to cover and in Jesus' name, we want to get this and we want to nail this and we want to live without fear holding and ruling our life. And so, like I said, um, actually i just pop up a definition of fear before I get going. And I found this one that I thought is quite encompassing. And it says, fear is a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil or pain, real or imagined. And fear generally results in fight or flight mode on our part. And do you know what? In the scripture, there's this insane story about three boys, Shadrach and Meshach, who went to Bendigo. <laughs> I just so love saying that. It's such a dad joke. But... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who would name their kids that, right? But they did. Three boys who lived in Babylon under the rulership of King Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar had this, I'll fill you in and then I'll throw the scriptures up and you can follow me um, in the book of Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar had this grand plan that he was going to, or that he built this grand plan golden statue and his plan was that every single person in the province was going to come and um, attend this initiation um, thing for this statue and bow down to the statue. So that was his plan and he sent out word to all of his officials and to everybody and he was like this is what we're going to do and you know what I'm so serious about this that actually anyone who doesn't bow down to this golden statue, will actually be thrown into a fiery furnace, will be thrown into a pit of fire, and they will die. And so I want to pick up the story from uh, Daniel chapter 3 with that context in mind. And from verse 11, it says this, And that whoever does not fall down and worship this statue will be thrown into a blazing furnace. So what's happened here, the tail end of this sentence, is that some of Nebuchadnezzar's officials, some of his spies, if you like, had sort of, you know, attended the ceremony and, you know, watched around like, you know, good subordinates do. And they're like, right, who are we looking out for to throw into the fiery furnace? Who are we looking out for? And they spotted these three boys, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who didn't bow down to the statue. And so they put on their dibby dobber and they went up to Nebuchadnezzar and they said to him, you said that whoever doesn't fall down and worship this statue will be thrown into a fiery, blazing furnace. And so we're here to tell you that there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who paid no attention to you, your majesty. (laughs) They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of God you set up. And so furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so these men were brought before the king and Nebuchadnezzar said to them in his big scary voice with his big uniform and authority and he says, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Expecting that they were going to go, um, 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 and their response. Now when you hear the sound of a horn, flute, lyre, harp, pipe and all kinds of music, If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what? God will be able to rescue you from my hand then. And we read on. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. Which bit of a fire do they not get? <laughs> and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Good thing they left the uh, <laughs> the majesty in there. May have helped them. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Whoa, <laughs> brave three little boys. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. Quite a punishment for refusing to bow down to a golden statue, right? Do you know what I wanna highlight here? As I read that, and as I read it over and over again to prepare for today, I just noticed the nagging nature of fear. The nagging nature of fear. Like it tried to come at them a number of times. As I sat there with it, I'm like, gee, you're such a nag, king. You're such a nag. And then I actually had that thought in my mind. And so as I was reading up on it, I found that some commentators actually said that in that chapter alone, that the word worship was repeated 11 times. The king saying, if you do not worship, and the official's going, worship, worship, worship. And the word itself was repeated 11 times. And I thought, that's it. Fear is a nag. It comes at us 11 times. It's like, oh, if I can't get you now, I'll get you there. And If I can't get you there, I'll get you there. And I'll sort of facade like this and, and, and say it like this and say it like that. And it just keeps coming at us. And that is the nature of fear. It tries to come at us from every single angle. And if it can't get us from here, it comes at us from over there. That's fear. That's fear. But the other thing I notice, actually, Moira, in the slide before, if that's okay, it comments on the fact just at the bottom there it says that they'll know to come and worship with all kinds of music. Now, you and I mus- know music to be sort of alluring and setting the mood and it sort of like gets you into the zone a little bit. And music sort of like, you know, allows you to lose your inhibitions. And the deception of fear, the deception of fear. Music was involved to have them come to this space. Music was involved to lure them into what we're all doing what's fear doing in your life and in my life is it coming at us like a nag repeatedly and does it sound so alluring does it sound so soft and sort of like you know so not really so dangerous and not really so confronting and we sort of like give it a little take a little give it a little and take a little and then we feed this beast and it grows and grows What does it look like for you? And so, I want to leave us with a phrase that's going to envelope and cover and umbrella everything that we're going to talk about today, and it's this. It's that you and I have a broken record inside our head that comes at us in ways that don't even seem dangerous and comes at us like a nag, like a true nag, And you and I have a choice. We have a choice to give into that and to speak with that and to dialogue with that and to converse with that. Or we have another choice. And that choice is to go, oh, you hang on right there. Oh, you just sit tight because you know what? You're a liar. And I've got something else to say over you. And that is the voice of God. And so today, church, I want to leave us with this phrase. Choose God's mind over your matter. You see, our brain tells us all sorts of things, but we want to declare that in the name of Jesus, we will find the discipline and the strength and the resolve and the tenacity to be able to go, oh, no, you don't. Oh, no, you don't. I've got another dialogue that I would like to apply on top of you that beats you and conquers you and crushes you to the ground, and that is God's voice and God's mind over my matter. Not mind over matter but God's mind over your matter, the word of God over my matter and over yours. Does does your brain tell you, what are you gonna do tomorrow? What are you gonna do? Your future is so uncertain, what are you gonna do? And you stop it right there and you go, no. The scripture says that I've come to prosper you and not harm you, I have a future and a hope for you. Does your mind say to you, oh my goodness, that bank account is dwindling, what are you gonna do next? Where are you going to get the next money for that next bill? And you say, oh, no, you don't. Because the scripture says, that, see the birds of the air, those sparrows, God feeds them, and he can feed me. What more, but man? Whatever it is that comes at you, <clears throat> whatever it is that comes at you, we need to resolve and stand <coughs> excuse me, and decide that we will not, give in to our dialogue. We will not give in to our dialogue. We will, by the grace of God, find a scripture, find a promise, find a something from Almighty God to speak over our situation and declare His mind over our matter. I put it up there, do not fear. Do you know how many times that phrase appears in the Bible? Actually, it's 365 according to commentators, but I thought I'd cover the leap here as well. 365 times, In the scripture, one for every day. One for every day. Hallelujah, okay. One for every day of the year. You and I are covered. You and I are covered. (laughs) So, what do we do with this? What do we learn from these crazy boys who agreed to throw themselves into a furnace and were so dumb as to say, we don't really care. Our God can save us from your fiery furnace. And so the first thing we need to do other than this big umbrella of choosing God's mind over my matter is to believe in God's protection. Do you actually know that God's protection sits over you every minute and every second of every day? Do you actually know that? Do you actually know? Have you actually had a divine revelation Have you actually asked God to convince you because it makes no sense in human wisdom to reveal to you that the almighty God, who is so in control, who can shield us and protect us and engineer every area of our life is protecting you everywhere you go? I don't know about you, but I know that I need a divine revelation, a supernatural revelation of what that even means, what that even means. But I think that these young boys had an idea for what that means. They got it to the point where they were happy to be thrown into a fiery furnace, having no idea. We read the story without any tension whatsoever, because we are like, oh, they are those boys that were saved from the fire. But they had no idea what the end was. They went one step at a time one step at a time. And I don't know about you, but if they were human like us, they were probably going, this is freaky, but God's got us. Are we really doing this? But God's got us. I'm sure they had some mental dialogue going on as well, just like you and I. But just because mental dialogue comes at us once or twice or 11 times is not enough reason for us to give into it. Do you know, um, many of you know, we've told you the story about our uh, nephew, who passed away, Peter's brother's son, who passed away three years ago in a motorcycle accident, at age twenty, and um, his mum and dad. Part of their um, their grief process was just so much remorse and regret. And if only they could turn back time. If only we never let him buy that motorcycle. If only we didn't. If only we did. If only, 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 only. And the craziest thing happened for them where they were finally able to just breathe and go, God's got us, God's got us, and there was nothing that we could have done. Do you know what happened? They had um, raised in Egypt. They'd migrated to um, America some years prior to this event taking place in, um, in L.A. And, um, but they had some family friends back in Egypt that were still living there, and their boys shared the same birthday. So the two boys, our nephew's name was Mark. This other boy, lo and behold, his name was Mark as well. And uh, the boy shared the same birthday. And what had actually happened on the evening that our nephew had died in this motorcycle accident was that their friend's son, Mark, had died in his sleep, age 20 as well, that same night. And you look at stories like that and you go, really? That actually happened? Really? You see, nothing can happen in your life and my life that God hasn't protected us for. Nothing can happen in your life and my life that God isn't aware of. Nothing can happen in your life and my life that doesn't involve God's protection. He knows the number of hairs on your head He knows the number of sand granules on the seashore. He knows everything about every single one of us. And so is he not a safe enough God to put our trust in, to say, Father, come and protect me? My days are numbered. Nothing can happen to me on this earth, even if I ride a motorcycle. And even if I don't, my days on earth are numbered. You are my God and you hold my life in your hands. Do you know that? And so firstly, you and I need to believe in God's protection. We need to know it's a thing. We need to know, like it says in Psalms 23, 4, I will fear no evil for you are with me. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Secondly, we need to trust in God's presence. You see, these boys, whether they were in the fire or whether they were out of it, they were like, you know what? God's with us. His presence is with us. How many of you know that God's presence is not subject to your performance? You see, sometimes God's blessings or favour, that's another story. But God's presence, God's presence is with us. Regardless of what we do, regardless of how we live our life, regardless of whether we're pleasing to him or not, that presence of God, it is non-negotiable and is the thing that never, ever leaves us. And this is what these boys understood, that God's presence was with them. God's presence was with them. I want to go back to the story for a moment and pick it up again from verse 22. And it says this, it says, the king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire, get this, the plan flipped on its head, killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So he lights up the fire seven times hotter and what happens? His own men don't cope with the flames and they basically disappear. And so that's what happened. The king, then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors. He's probably going, what the heck just happened? Where are my guys and why are these three running around still in this fire? And he says to them, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, yes, certainly, your majesty. And he said, look, I now see four walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects, governors, And royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was was a hair of their head singed, their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Really? Really? The protection and the presence of God can do that? And if anyone's sitting here going, oh yeah, but that's just a story in the Bible, how do we even know that's real? You know, the Bible's full of all these creative, colorful stories. I've read books in modern day terms. You only need to go and read the book, The Heavenly Man, about the, 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 um, the, uh, the guy who was persecuted for his faith and put in prison to know that these are modern day stories. These things actually happen in our modern world. Church, this morning as we sit with this concept called fear, you and I need to grasp the fact that God's protection sits over us. That nothing can happen to us without God's presence being with us. Does life throw curveballs? Yes. Does life get hard and dangerous and scary? Yes. But is God's protection over us? Yes. And is his presence with us the whole time? Yes. And you and I know very well that his presence is not just his physical presence walking alongside us going, oh, now let me close your eyes because there's a scary bit coming up. But that his presence is the spirit of God that breathes peace, supernatural peace on the inside of us. His presence goes with us to shield us and protect us from the fires that life throws at us. That's what it does. And so I want to give us some practical pointers that you and I can cooperate with the spirit of God Because who knows we're body, mind, and soul? And who knows that God wants us to cooperate with Him? He gave us a brain and He gave us rational thinking and He gave us decisiveness and a get up and go so that we can cooperate with His Spirit. And so I want to leave us with some practical ideas to land this some more. Firstly, you and I need to recognize fear and tackle it fast. Because if we don't tackle it fast, That nagging thing, it comes at us, and it comes at us, and it comes at us. We need to recognize it, and we need to tackle it fast. You actually know that the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had asked the people to bow down to, it refers to it in the scripture as gold. But commentators tell us that actually it couldn't possibly have been gold, because not even all the gold in all of that entire state, if it was collected, could have built a statue that tall, nine metres high and nine feet, nine feet wide. There's, there was no gold in the state to actually build a statue that big. And so they say that actually it was made out of wood and then it was, dipped, it was basically just covered and polished in gold. And you say, so see, fear does this to us. It just looks like it's, you know, oh, wow, it's fear. It's, oh, it's just so... You know, it's this golden thing, and it's, it's so cunning and deceptive. But it's just like this outer facade. But on the inside, it's only wood. It's only wood if fire would bring it down. And so we need to recognize it. We need to go, no, you're not gold. No, you're not safe. You're just hollow and timber on the inside. Recognize it and tackle it. Come at it. Come at it without thinking that it's bigger than you and bigger than me. Secondly, we need to reprogram our brain. And I mentioned this last week and I won't repeat myself. You can get onto the recording to hear that. But last week I mentioned reprogramming our brain from the perspective of actually recognizing and understanding that our brain has neural pathways in it And we need to learn to catch thoughts and stop them before they actually indent and create deeper pathways. Today, I want to say this. I want to say that what you and I need to do is not just catch those thoughts, but we need to replace them. We need to replace them with God's mind over our matter. We need to replace those thoughts. And you know what I love in the scripture that we read? In verse 18, it says, Your Majesty, we will never serve your gods to worship or worship the image of gold you have set up for us. We will what? Say it with me. We will what? Never. Decisive language, authoritative language, intense language. Never. Not we don't think we're going to worship your gods. You know what? Put on a little bit of diplomacy. Never. Never. Because it's language like that that embeds in our brain, that creates pathways. So that when that situation comes up again, our brain's not like, now, hang on, what was it there? You said you sort of weren't going to dabble with that. Never. Use decisive language to reprogram your brain. Use the Word of God. I will always refer to the Word of God. I will never give in to fear. You might fall over. Of course we will. But your attitude, your attitude is a never. And when I do, I pick myself up again. Isaiah 41.10, when I sit, I will arise but my attitude is never. Use decisive, intense language like these boys did to create those pathways in your brain. The next one is another way that you and I can manage fear in our life is by peeling back the layers. Peeling back the layers. You see, fear presents itself like a golden statue, but actually what's on the inside is sometimes very, very different. And it's only when we get to the core. It's only when we get to the core where we go, you know, I've got this social anxiety where, you know, when I'm around people or when I'm sort of coming to people's presence, I'm nervous about it, and we just call it that. But when we pull it apart and, and when we go, well, what is it really? And then by the Spirit of God, we begin to get revelation. We understand actually maybe it's a spirit of rejection. You see, we need to pull it apart. We can't look at it and go, my fear is da, da 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 And so what I want to propose this morning is peeling back the layers. And it goes much like this, peeling back the layers. We had a friend who um, tells this story about um, renovating his bathroom at home. And he's in the bathroom and he's pulling out the old tiles. And he's just going nuts with this, um, you know, whatever thing he used to... <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> a peeler. <laughs> He's going nuts with this thing, like banging and bashing at these tiles. And, um, and he, he tells a story about a friend coming over and, um, and watching him. And his friend goes, dude, you need to chill out a little bit. Like you're going to pull out the foundations, not just the tiles. Like take a chill pill. And he says, I remember just feeling a little bit offended about that and just going, Sorry mate, (laughs) sorry that I'm working hard and you're just turning up to give some advice. But do you know what happened? He came to the realization by asking some questions. Why was I going nuts at the tiles? And why did I actually get really annoyed when my friend said that to me? Because it was a bit rude because he just turned up like a guest? Nah. That's not it. So why else did I get really annoyed? Because I was thinking, well, maybe you should pick up a peeler and help me as well. (laughs) No, that's not it either. So why was it? Why was it that I was going nuts at those tiles? Why was it? No, that's not it. So why else was it? And why else was it? Does this seem exhausting? It is. But you know what? Nothing in life is easy. Everything requires our cooperation and our hard work and our discipline and our partnering with the Spirit of God to reveal the deep stuff on the inside behind the gold dip layer. And so eventually he worked out this crazy thing because he used to refer to his obsession as the need to work hard. It's good for my manhood. makes me feel good. My wife thinks I'm amazing. My girls will end up growing up marrying a man just like me. (laughs) But what he actually realized was that deep down beyond all these layers, he remembered that all his growing up years as a kid, his dad used to say to him, George, you're so lazy. You're so lazy. You are so lazy. Lazy at this, lazy at that, lazy at this, and lazy at that. And you know what? He had no idea that he had this fear that was motivating everything he was doing. And the fear was, people think I'm lazy. I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes what is your fear really when you peel back the layers by simply asking what is it what is it what is it what else what else you will arrive at the core of the real issue the core of the real issue So instead of tackling this big old thing, you tackle the core of the issue. Colin said earlier, as he was explaining his story, that as he realized the core of the issue, he then had to make some amends. He then had to do some practical things in his life to actually deal with this fear. And sometimes that's what it takes. For Colin, it was resigning from the police force. What is it for you? What is it for you? When God highlights the root of your fear, what does he then want you to do with it? The next one says, receive prayer and break fear's power. Receive prayer and break fear's power. How many of you know that there is power in prayer? How many of you know that there is breakthrough in prayer? Just last week at the end of the service, we had many of you come forward and we had someone come up and adopt you and own you and pray for you for the week. And we have heard of three really, really big breakthroughs and they're just the three we know. There is power in prayer. There is power in prayer. I remember at some point in my life, Um, Many of you know I lost my mum due to cancer um, when I was 18 years old. I didn't really think it was an issue that uh, traumatised me or tormented me, but it was just a grief. And um, it was only when um, uh, 10 years later that we had our, um, our own kids, that that trauma played out in my life in a really big way. And this is not the time to unpack that, but it played out in my life in a really big way. Not the grief, the trauma and the fear. And I remember my mentor saying to me at the time, hey Susie, do you know that God can heal you from that fear? And the first thing, I can take myself back there. I know where I was sitting. I know where she was sitting. I know where we were. I can actually tune into my own emotions in that moment. And that was back, I think, seven years ago. And I remember in that moment just thinking, pardon the phrase, but the devil I know is better than the devil I don't. I do not want to open up a can of worms. I've learned to live with this, and I'm fine. And then God challenged me. And through receiving prayer, peeling back the layers, I can stand here today and I can say, by the grace of God, I am healed from that trauma. And by the grace of God, when my head says, oh, but what if you ever slip back into that? And I go, oh, no, 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 no. I'm a new creation in Jesus. And so receive prayer to break fears power. It is a stronghold and it is a liar. And the scripture says, for this type of thing comes out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Get stuck into it. I'm almost there. Next, live with the tension. Live with the tension. Live with the tension. It's a phrase. It's a phrase. We ought to get it tattooed. It's a phrase that we need to memorize and learn because somehow you and I think that we can't go on if we got fear in our life and I need to deal with this and manage this, it's consuming me. Let's live with the tension like Colin does. He has days where this tries to rise up for him. He lives with the tension and he receives his healing and he receives his breakthrough and believes for more. But he doesn't go, oh, never get over this thing. I better just get under the doona again. Better give my mate back those guns. He lives with the tension because it is okay. Sometimes in God's favor and grace, we end up with immediate instantaneous healing where something has a grip on us and then it's gone forever. But other times it is a gradual process. And if it is a gradual process for you, it is okay. Live with the tension. It is okay to do life where fear and God's mind over your matter cohabitate simultaneously It is okay. Eventually, it will release its grip on you and you will say, Hallelujah, I am free from it. But until then, live with the tension. And then finally, I want to go back to the scripture again and I want to read how it ends. And it says that Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you remember who this guy is? King of Babylon? Did he like God? But he says, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, say it with me, therefore, maybe all of us, therefore, I decree That the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. What? What? Come on, people. Am I the only one excited about this crazy outcome? This guy who hated God. This guy who wanted to burn them alive is now worshipping their God, is now the guy who's on a mission to get at anyone who doesn't worship their God. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And you know what I want to say? I want to say that had these boys given into fear, had fear prevailed, two very, very, very significant things would have never eventuated. One of those things is their influence. That King Nebuchadnezzar himself was changed. He was the king. When a king changes his mind and ideas on things, the whole province shifts, right? Fair to say. Had they given in to fear, had they said, oh no, we're too frightened. Had they gone with their natural instincts, because this wasn't hypothetical fear, this was real. Had they gone with that, influence wouldn't have existed. And had they gone with that, you know what else wouldn't have existed? Their destiny. Because what happened, the scripture says to us, is that they were promoted in the province of Babylon. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? wasn't even a possibility. It wasn't even on anyone's mind. And if any one of them said, hey, let's do this, because if it ends well, we might be promoted. No one thought that. But it was a crazy outcome. Because when they said no to fear,
1: when they said no to fear,
0: they had no idea. But they were saying yes to influence, and they were saying yes to destiny. How is fear holding you? Back this morning, and what's God's mind over your matter? What's God's mind over your matter? You see, the enemy wants to hold you back and wants to hold me back, but you and I, you and I, got too much to be and too much to do on this side of eternity if we give in to fear. And so this morning, we wanna give you the opportunity. We're gonna stand up and we're gonna sing and then we're gonna give you the opportunity after this first song, to grab your speech bubble the that you've written your fear on. And we want you to head over there and meet Ashley who's just at the back door as you exit the auditorium. And Ashley has a stamp that says his mind over your matter. And if you go there with your speech bubble, she will stamp it for you as a declaration that his mind over your matter sits and prevails over that fear that you wrote down in Jesus's name. So after the first song, you are free to then move and head over to Ashley and get her to sign your speech bubble and you take that declaration home and you walk in it and you pull out your phone and you read your slides and you read your notes and you get on the internet and you hear this sermon again. And you pray and you believe and you step in and you will not be deceived by golden statues that are hollow and wooden on the inside. But for those of you who also want prayer I've asked a number of people to come up the front and pray for you and with you. So the instructions again, we're all gonna stand and we're gonna sing in the first song. After that, you're gonna head over and get your speech bubble stamped. For those of you who want more prayer, you will come to the front and our prayer team will be here. Can those who are praying head up now as the song plays and just prepare your heart and spirit to pray over those who land up here. And I've said to those coming up, to be prepared and open to give some of you a piece of scripture and a piece of God's mind over your matter prophetically that you can walk away and hold on to. And so let's stand and let's pray. And for those of you praying, head on up now.